following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. How many of you are familiar with uh, the Leaning Tower of Pisa? Okay, so probably interesting enough, the word Pisa literally means marshy land. Um, so that might be telling a little bit, right? Anybody know how tall this, uh, this tower is? Guesses are okay. So just think, think a number in your head, and I'm going to tell you that it, the tower is 179 feet tall. Okay, anybody uh, have any idea how far out of plumb this tower is at this point in the game? Well, I don't have the degrees. It's over seven feet out of plumb. Okay, so, I mean, that's pretty significant when we're talking about a 179-foot tower. Uh, anybody have any idea when this tower was built? Good guess. These are great guesses. 1173. So, so this, this, uh, this tower's been around for 845 years. And without, uh, without scientists showing up on a yearly basis to inventory its decline and to help to stabilize it, it would not endure. Well, I came across an article this week, and I thought it was very relevant to our topic. And so I'm going to begin with reading and sharing this with you. The Leaning Tower of Pisa in Italy is going to eventually fall without assistance. Scientists travel to the town of Pisa every year to measure the building's slow descent. They report that the 179-foot tall tower, which was built in 1173, moves about 1 20th of an inch every year and is now over 17 feet, excuse me, 17 feet out of plumb. I thought I read seven. Um, recent renovations may have saved the 845-year-old tower and prevented it from collapse. Quite significantly, the word Pisa means marshy land, which gives some clue to as why the tower began to lean before it was even, isn't this interesting, before it was even completed. Also, another issue is, that the, fa- is the fact that its foundation is only 10 feet deep. Um, and the reason for the leaning tower of Pisa Um, or the reason the Leaning Tower of Pisa is leaning is because it was built on a faulty foundation. So Jesus ends this particular sermon, a lengthy message that Jesus starts with his disciples as they come and sit at his feet, and he obviously finishes with a crowd because we're told that that's the case. And this crowd is told right here at the very end of of this sermon that, look, um, you've all heard some teachings. You've heard some principles. But if you just are hearers of these things and you don't put them into practice, then you're not building your house on the rock, on the firm foundation of my teachings. Let's look at the passage. Again, if you have your Bibles with you, which I hope you do, I hope you're always carrying the Word, um, that's great. Open up to uh, the first book in the New Testament uh, is the Gospel of Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, a publican or tax collector um, that Jesus called by the Sea of Galilee, and, and he followed him with his life. And, uh, and he was used as an instrument to, to write the Gospel specifically to the Jews. And uh, in the seventh chapter is the conclusion of this glorious message that we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount that begins in chapter 5, 
and goes through six into seven. And this is the final statement of that chapter. And then we see the response of the crowd in verses uh, 28 and 29. All right, so I'm going to pick up in 24. And, and if you haven't been with us through this series over the last several months, um, you, you're not going to be surprised um, by the content, but, um, but there's so many elements to the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. If you've been with us, the context will make perfect sense because last week's message, really this is the parable that illustrates, you know, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? It's a contradiction, right? If, if you call me Lord, if you, if you see me as, as Peter declared uh, to Jesus and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, it would make absolutely no sense if that's the case that you wouldn't obey my commands. Um, as, as, we, as we get into the text here, I want to just ask a question that will be kind of an, an overview or a thought line along the, the, the journey that we're going to have together in the text. Um, what do you believe to be God's heart, motive, and intention in giving us his word, his guidance, his will, his, uh, his promises, his precepts? What do you believe to be the, 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 the goal of God in that? Why would he tell us to do these things and to not do these things? We're gonna look at that. Matthew tw- chapter 7, verse 24 to 29. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's Bibles under the seats that are in front of you. Please make them available. And if you don't have a Bible, it would be an absolute joy for us to sow one into your life. Matthew seven twenty four to 29. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Why? Because it had been founded, founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell And the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. When Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teachings for he was was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. So, so much to glean from this passage, so much to learn. Um, and, uh, and, and again, Jesus is illustrating a point that we see uh, in another sermon. Uh, this sermon's related, is, is called the Sermon on the Mount, another sermon that we hear in Luke, which has incredible similarities, but a different context is what we refer to as a Sermon on the Plain. And, and this is what Jesus says in that particular sermon. Luke chapter six, 43 to 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And, and I, I think it's so interesting that it goes on and says, and when a flood, not if. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house 
and, and could not shake it because it had been built well or well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like the man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. Again, when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. How many of you were here for Irma? Um, you know, it's the storms of life that really kind of, kind of it, very telling on what our foundation is. Uh, it, 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 it clarifies where we lean and where our trust and what we believe in the moments where these storms come into our life. I, I, I remember, for, for me, I, I know it sounds crazy and I've mentioned it before, but it was such an awesome time. Of the, of the body of Christ getting together and eating together in each other's home. and great. I mean, A2 looks so practical and so alive in that, in that season. We were eating together. People were bringing meals to one another's house or preparing meals and inviting everybody over. If you don't have this, come to my house. Let me run an extension cord across the street. You know, it, it created, it, it broke down fences and walls and neighborhoods and, 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 it, and really what what was true about your life, what you really believed became very evident to yourself and to others. In contrast, there were so many that, that I saw that were just riddled with anxiety and fear, were overwhelmed by, by the moment and wondered if their life would, or their home or their house would endure the storm, would make it through. And in this passage, Jesus is declaring that there's going to be storms in life. Anybody, is there a storm going on in your life? Have you been through a storm? Because trust me, you will go through a storm or storms in life. And, and, you know, in Matthew chapter five, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, verses 44 and 45, Jesus says this. He says, and this is one of the teachings that he said, don't just be a hearer but doer on. He said, love your enemies, and pray for those that persecute you. And then he, he uses this connection. He says, just like your father in heaven who loves his enemies, he sends the sun and the rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous, both the evil and the good. And when you think about that in ag- agricultural terms, you're going, wow, what a good God he is to graciously give us the sun and the rain. So, so, so uh, basic and necessary. And yet, we look at Jesus' ministry and we see that there are times where Jesus literally sent his disciples into storms, like directed them into the, the path of a storm. And we find that the storms of life really clarify for us what we're putting stock in in our life, what we're building our life upon. Because those moments can either, they truly define us, don't they? They, they truly unravel our, our broken paradigms and the things, the principles and, uh, that we're building our life upon, or they, they fortify, they anchor, they continue to reinforce the truth of God's word that he truly is the anchor. His word is truly an anchor in the storms of life. And so the question we look at today, what we're really addressing here is if we, if we understand what Jesus is saying, he's, he calls both of them hearers. They both are hearers. He's talking to a crowd that has just heard his teachings, which are 
pretty radical and impactful, and, but yet when we look at his life and ministry, he, he lives them out in practical ways that are, that are very hard and difficult in their implication and their implita- implementation. I mean, when he said, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you, we see that <laughs> demonstrated in his life on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So he embodied, he lived out, as we'll look at in John 14. He says, you know, I obeyed my father's commands. You know why? Because that's how I showed him that I love him, that I love him. And, uh, and, and then he's calling us in this, in this passage not to simply hear his word. Not to just, James chapter one, verse 22, literally says that if you merely just listen to the word, that you deceive yourself by not being a doer of his word. That, that, that we're self-deceived when we don't put God's word into practice because now we're aware of something we're not doing that makes us hypocritical by very de- the very definition. So this passage contrasts hearing versus hearing with doing. And we're gonna look at the, and I believe the scriptures light up with this, especially, I mean, whether it be Paul or Peter or John or James or Jesus, the scriptures light up with, with directives and intention and, and, and cause for us to, to not only just, yes, it's important that we hear his word, but that, that lordship is declared, is, is declared in the moments that we live it out. I mean, if we really take into consideration who it is that's telling us to do these things, and we really, we really believe the, the heart and intention, the love that's behind these directives, whether warnings not to or, or directives to do, like, man, you know, love is compelling us to follow a blueprint and to build our house upon a firm foundation. Christ Jesus, his word. So there's some observations. So hopefully as you go through scripture, you just kind of look through it and, and initially just observe the text and ask the questions like why, what, when, where, and how. And here we see these things. There's two builders, right, who built two houses on two very different foundations with two different outcomes. Now, this sounds very familiar in recent texts because, you know, early in chapter Seven, the same chapter, verse 13 and 14, we see that there was two gates, two paths, right? And, uh, and those two paths or two gates led to two very different destinations. And so Jesus is continuing this thought that his heart, as God's heart is, that none should perish, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him, that he is the way back to life and love himself. And, uh, and God has made a way where there was no way. There was a chasm, a separation. Sin had, had created this great divide. And God in his grace and mercy, like I love that we don't have to be ashamed. We can run into mercy's arms that we sang that this morning. Not because of anything that we've done, but because Christ willingly died in our place, paid the price that we could not pay, and opened the door that was locked, and he became the key. This foundation now, 
That, that is the foundation, the gospel. If you're ever wanting to get a good definition of the gospel, understand what the, the good news of Jesus Christ, the word gospel means good news, look at you, and write this down. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses three and four. It literally just breaks down what the gospel is. So what's the big idea for today? What's the big idea? The big idea is this. The foundation on which we build our lives, symbolic of the house in this illustration, or parable, the foundation on which we build our lives is of ultimate significance. Is of ultimate significance. You know, it's, it's interesting to me that Jesus, Jesus doesn't live in the gray. It's black and white. It's right or wrong. You're either with me or you're against me, right? You're either gathering or you're scattering. You're either on the narrow path that's harder, that leads to life eternal, or you're on the wide path that's easy and leads to destruction. You know, like Jesus doesn't pull any punches. You know, it seems extremely narrow-minded or, or it seems uh, as, as, as the church is often characterized by. But this is how I see it, is that if God made a way, it's perfect. We don't need another way. It's, and it, and it's, you know what's amazing is that God made a way. <laughs> that's, what's, that's amazing grace, that God literally made a way, not back to a place, but back to a person, back to himself, so that we could experience the wonder of his presence that brings about all the things that, we, that we're hoping that these things of the world will do for us and don't. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self Like, we're given a righteousness that doesn't spoil, fade, or wear out. We're given, we're given a status that, isn't, that is no longer impacted by the, by the failures and fallings of life. Because we're not standing in, in our righteousness. <laughs> what a joke. But we're, we're, we're established in his righteousness. And now that allows us to be anchored in the storms of life. We, you know, one of the anchors in that is that we, we acknowledge that we serve a sovereign God that's never fickle, frail, or worn out. He never tires. His arm is never short. He reaches into our lives and he rescues us from our sin, our brokenness, our storms. And here's the thing. Here's the good news, guys. I love in Luke chapter five that G- Jesus tells Peter, go out into deep water. And before you know it, you're wondering, well, wait a second, where's Jesus? And I know I mentioned this before, but it just, it, 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 it ministers to my heart in moments where I'm in deep water. You know where Jesus is? He's in the boat with Peter in the midst of the moment that he called him to go into. Guys, this is the good news, that when God calls us to be obedient to things that are bigger than us, harder than than we have the ability or potential for, he joins us in it and he strengthens us to it. And that's the good news. Because when Matthew 5, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, I fall short. Big time. <laughs> right? And, and what, that's, that, what, what that is is talking about fullness, maturity, completeness. This is what God, in, in Philippians 1.6, it says he's going to finish what he started. In, in 1 Thessalonians 5.24, he says, for the one who calls you to what? Sanctification is what's being talked about. Like to the conformity to the image of Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. He will do it. He's going to finish what he started once that foundation is established. But our part in this 
It's to declare him Lord by the way that we respond to his word. Does that make sense? Like, I mean, it's, I mean, Jesus, I don't think God ever tells us to do something and says, this is just a suggestion. This is just, you know, like, if you think about it. You know, like, because, like, these are, these are big things. These are, this is massive. This is life and death. This is critical stuff. Jesus doesn't deal in the superficial. And when he asks us to do something, when his word declares, this is the way, walk in it. Like, man, it's so comforting to know that he's walking in it with us. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Like, we get to be wrapped up in a yoked relationship with Jesus who is setting the course and the pace. Sometimes that's really hard for us, isn't it? For those that are in a little bit struggle with control, which I think is all of us, whether it be pace or direction. But then, but then he brings his power to this, to, to this plan that he has for our lives. How awesome is that? And then what we get to experience in this is we get to experience the rest of his sovereign care. We get to experience the joy of not having to have it figured out. We get to experience the, the passion of, of, of experiencing the abundant life of God using us in the, in the process of seeing his will realized. Do you know that God's A game is the church? That's, that's an awesome thing that we get to be a part of this mission to see the world saved. And, and Jesus is not unrealistic and any stretch of the imagination. He's not unrealistic. He said, why is the road that leads to destruction and many will find it and this narrow path that leads to eternal life that's far harder, only a few. But that, that's not his heart. Oh, that none should perish and it shouldn't be ours either. We don't, we don't give up. And, and guys, part of Part of living out God's word is, 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 is walking out the Great Commission, is going into all the world and making disciples of, of everyone that God entrusts to our lives, like showing them the joy of resting in his care. He's the good shepherd and he's the good daddy. Like we can, I mean, how much comfort does that bring? You know, I, I often, I, ha, I, I remember an illustration um, where, you know, this person walks on the playground and I had this visual of like, like a person walking on the playground and talking to my niece Hannah over at Argonada and, and asking her like, man, who's going to pay the mortgage payment today? I mean, this month. And who's going to take care of electric bill? And, you know, and, and in the illustration, it basically says, the little, the little, I think it was a girl says, my daddy's got that right back to plan. You know, and I'm not saying that life is, I, I agree, life is more of a battlefield than it is a playground and, and we, gotta, we gotta be ready and we gotta, you know, the armor of God and all those pieces, but, but in the midst of that, we have this peace, we have this rest, we have this assurance like Caleb and Joshua being given the promised land. It doesn't matter what's against us because he's for us, right? I mean, this is glorious. He's for us and we, and, and, and here's the challenge. He's for us. We need to be for him. And how we declare our for him is when we dis, just, we pronounce him Lord every moment that we obey his word. And that's how we build our lives upon the rock. We start to find that our life becomes more firm and more secure and more peaceful and confident in the moments that we go, man, my confidence and trust is in Christ and his word and I believe it works and it's not diminished by time or circumstance. 
It's faithful just as he is. So what's the outline for this passage? The outline is this. Consider the comparisons. We have two builders. Both heard the words of Jesus, right? Both of them. And he's speaking to this congregation that now is sitting in front of him that's about to disperse. And he's telling them, guys, look, I know you're gonna be amazed because I'm God at the authority I have here, but, but here's the deal. It, it doesn't end with just being informed. My goal is that you're transformed. And transformation only comes when by faith we put so much confidence in your lordship that we, that we follow you. And here's the thing. Do you think the disciples for three years, do you think Peter ever got to say, well, I think I wanna do this today? Or, or John or, 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 or Bartholomew just got to say, hey, I'm, I'm gonna head over here today, Jesus. I don't know what you're up to, but this is what, what I'm doing. no. They were disciples, they were followers. They, they craved being, being covered in the dust of, the, of their rabbi and, and following him with everything that they had. It was, their, it was their now goal. It was the best plan, I put this up on Facebook this week, the best plan I could possibly have is to follow his plan. I mean, that's, that's the, best, the best idea I ever have is to do his ideas and to share his heart, his objective and perspective. So we have two builders, both heard the words of Jesus. One does them in verse 24, and the other does not do them. What, what are the contrasts? One was a wise builder, and the other one foolish. I love how the, they depicted that with funky accents uh, as a clown, right? Um, and so one is, one is wise, and one is foolish. And, and their wisdom, the wisdom of that individual, or this this parable character, the wisdom is that they applied God's word. The foolishness was that they didn't. And, and, and what's challenging is, is that they were all listening to Jesus, to God. Emmanuel was, was giving them the deal. And they were all there. They all, he's not talking to like people that haven't heard the message and those that have. He's talking to people that have all heard the message, but some have said, not today, or I've got a better way, or as uh, Matthew 13 in the parable of the sower and the seed says, the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth and the pursuit of pleasure choked out the word and rendered it fruitless or the individual unsanctified or unmature. And so, like, what makes us foolish from God's perspective is when we don't, we don't obey him. I mean, what is he trying to do anyway? Right? He's, he's trying to love us and give us life and rescue us and ransom us. He's, he's trying to conform us into his image. He's, he's giving us, like, get this. He's giving us his heart. That's what he's doing. He's showing us his will and his way. And that requires an intimate relationship. And that's the very thing that Jesus says over and over again. Look at Matthew 25, jot that down. But Jesus says over and over again, especially in the parable of the, 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 the 10 bridesmaids, he says, go away from me for I did not know you. I didn't know you. That's, that's a heartbreak, especially at that critical moment when he's describing the last, the day of the Lord. That's, that's, a, that's a hard thing to hear when you think that you're part of the bridal party. 
And Jesus, God's telling us, man, you know what wisdom is? Obey my teachings. I don't think that's any different than what Solomon was saying wisdom was. Fear of the Lord, obeying his word. He said at the end of Ecclesiastes, listen, the whole duty of man is this. Chapter 12, verse 13, he says, this is the whole duty of man, to obey God's word. That's the whole duty of man. <laughs> and, and God himself says, this is where wisdom is found. Do not just hear it. And I'm not, under, I'm not saying that that's not important. Je, you know, Jesus said it in John chapter eight. It's important that we, that we hear and hold to his word. I mean, it's, it's, it's a prerequisite. But what are we doing with this treasure, this gift of God's heart and passion and intentions and will? His word, the foundation, the potential foundation of our lives. Are we treating it with contempt? Or are we treating it with lordship honor that says, man, it it wouldn't make any other sense for me that if I'm following you with my life, that if you are Lord, then only, the only thing that, that makes sense in this moment is to do what you've asked me to do. And guys, I'm not saying that, not understanding implications, that that's hard, and that's a walk by faith and not by sight, that sight will deceive us and discourage us and, 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 and invoke fear at times. But what does it look like to trust him in the storms of life? What does it look like to put his word into practice? Because this parable tells us and God declares that that's wisdom and that it's absolute foolishness to disregard his word because it leads to your own peril. And an abundant life is, is, is forfeited, rescue, ransomed by the God of the universe. You, you live, you live with your sin, the guilt and shame and the blame game. You live in that. And God is saying, I've made a way. My son, just come and know him. Be known by him. And, and immerse yourself in the love and the, and the leadership of his life. And he will lead you to glorious things. And I'm not saying it's not gonna be hard and painful. But most things in life that are worth doing are. And this is the pinnacle of that. So consider the contrast, one wise and one foolish, one built on rock, God's word, Christ himself, and others on sand. And, and basically when we talk about this sand piece, it's anything, anything other than Christ and his teachings. I mean, I think that's so clear that, that this, is, this is the only way to the Father. By no other name. Has man been given, right? Acts 4.12, you can write that down. So the next piece is, are you, really, again, this is about doing versus hearing, right? So I, I ask a question, are you a walkie or a talkie, right? Are you a walkie or a talkie, right? And, and, uh, and a lot of times, you know, I, I think it's easier to talk about something than to do it, right? We see this in the area of sports. A lot of people can talk a big game, but let's see it on the court. Let's see it on the field. Let's see it in the rink. Right? And, and that's really what, what brings substance to, to, your, to your, your, your declaration. And, and that's what shows ourselves to be disciples. And then we're going to look at a passage in chapter 14 of John in just a moment. And literally, this is what God says. And guys, this is so telling. But it's also clarifying that it tells us that you want to know how to love God? You want to know how to love Him? Obey my commandments. 
You want to know how to abide in him, like to stay at home, to reside in him, to stay close, connected to him? Obey my commands. We see that in John 15. Like that, that's, that's how we continue to stay connected to him. And then here's another thing, and you'll, this bears repeating. Guys, I, the thing I've discovered this time studying and preparing for this is that one of the beauties of, of growing up in God's word and growing up to find God's word faithful and good and powerful and effective is that it, the scriptures literally tell us that this is how we are perfected in love. Doesn't that make sense? Like, we're, we're, we're being perfected by the perfecter. We're, we're being conformed by the creator. And now, like, what is, what is, it's just another way of hearing. You know, John says that, that, that God is love. Like, he is love. That's not what he does. That's, that's not a feeling. That, that's him. He's, he's the, the epitome of perfect love. And, and, and you know it says when we're obeying, when we're building our house upon the rock, the scripture tells us that we're being perfected in love. Isn't that awesome? So guys, what that tells me is, is that our obedience to God's word not only secures and, and stabilizes our lives in the midst of the storms that will come, but that by obedience, we grow up in love. We grow up in him. Like this is, this is our part of the equation that we submit, yield. I mean, as the bride of Christ, what is our role? To be a helper in submission to Christ, the bridegroom of the church, whose ambition is to make you radiant. Like, let's understand the heart of God. He is wanting to make you radiant as his bride, perfected in love and that process is through obedience to his word declaring one telling him that we love him and two declaring that this is who I follow this is who I live and die for this is who I breathe with and by this this is not only what I do with my life he is my life and I find no hope and substance in anyone else and my life doesn't just profess that my life confesses that by the way that I live so consider the consequences of this particular parable both experience the storms of life both of them isn't that interesting look you're going to go through storms and those storms in some cases they're going to vary in their impact on our lives even if they're similar to others around us but some of those tragedies come suddenly and others come with some preparation, but they're, they're going to be storms in our life. But Jesus, and please don't miss this, Jesus is very clearly, if you look at the context of the passage, Jesus is very clearly also, also talking about the coming judgment and that there's an ultimate storm that will, that will wrap this up. The scroll will be rolled back. And here's the deal. At that moment, it's not what you've done because none of that's going to qualify. It's not what you did or didn't do. But it's your firm conviction and faith in what he's done for you. And your obedience declares that this is the one that I follow. This is the one that I live for. This is where I build my life every moment of every day as I choose to obey his word rather than my will or my way. I mean, Jesus said in, uh, in Matthew chapter six, right in the middle of this Sermon on the Mount, he says this. 
He says, when you pray, pray this. When you pray, which should be often in your closet, all those things with great motive and intention, but like when you pray, pray this. And he says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. And I believe that that's a prayer that we should pray literally, often, always, daily, constantly, because we, we need to be reminded who, who we're following because our flesh wants its way. Our, our, we want, selfishly, we want our will being done. We want our kingdom coming. And we have to continually die to that, to that beckoning because that's a road that leads to destruction. Because it's always, don't you notice that, that my way always seems to be kind of contrary to what the scriptures are asking me to do? But hopefully as God continues to conform us that what's happening is, wait a second, my way is starting to look more like his way. And you know what's good about that? God, you're good. Because that's the work, that's evidence of the work you're doing in me. So consider the consequences. Both experienced the storms of life. Again, judgment. Secondly, one did not fall and the other fell profoundly. Again, a picture of the final fall uh, without a firm foundation. So I want to wrap up our time and trust me, we're not finished. I'm just, I want to get to some things here that just really crossed my path this week and really kind of thoughts that I had that engaged me and then some scripture that if you're, if you're questioning whether what I'm sharing with you from the text is valid, I'm going I'm to walk you through some scripture because I believe that the greatest commentary on scripture is scripture. Like God word, God's word confirms itself and so l- let me share some things with you. Rock builders believe that Jesus alone has the power to save them alone. Rock builders hear his words and they follow in radical obedience. They conform their lives to his word, to him. Like the disciples, they follow with their lives. What the Lord tells them to do in his word, they do. Now let me, let me say this. We're not gonna get this right. First, second, third, fourth, uh, you know, for. It, it, it's going to be a journey. And, and here's the thing that we see, in, even in the parable, that how long does it take to build a house? It doesn't go up over, I mean, in some cases. But like, you know, if, if it's not extreme makeovers, it takes a little while, right? Um, but, but a home is a journey. It's a process. And the more we stick to the blueprints, the more we establish a foundation, which takes much more time and effort, um, the, more, the more secure that, and so, the same is true for us. We have to acknowledge that the, the journey of our life, the process of becoming his radical disciple is a journey. And we take steps, hopefully, every day. I know there, that there's moments in our life, and I just want to acknowledge this, that we feel like we've stepped back. And, and, and sometimes we do. We do. But his grace abounds in those moments. Praise be to God. But... But also, there are moments where God intentionally, as, as, as John chapter 15, verse 3 says, he prunes us back. So, but here's the intention, that we might be even more fruitful. And we see that illustrated in, in, in trees and plants and fruit-bearing plants. And so it's a journey, it's a process. What the Lord tells them, these, these, these disciples of Christ to do, in his words, they do. Uh, what he yearns or warns, excuse me, what he warns them not to do, they avoid at all costs. They pay any price. They walk any path. They do anything the Lord tells them to do. How else do you reconcile Mother Teresa? 
but that this is a woman that gets Jesus' heart and mission and ministry and her heart is broken for the less fortunate and the broken and the downtrodden. I mean, we look at Matthew chapter 25 and he says, when you've done it unto the least of these brothers of mine, you've done it unto me. Like Jesus takes it personally when we walk these things out in obedience to him. The life built on the rock realizes that the Lord deserves our best, our full attention, our total commitment. They deserve, excuse me, they serve, they sacrifice, they do everything and anything to love and honor the Lord. Guys, let's look at some, let's look at some scripture. Listen to what this says. John 14, I alluded to this earlier. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will Keep my commandments. And, you know, it's hard to, 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 to think through because, like, if I'm not keeping his commandments, I mean, what does that say about my love for him? And, and that's not a moment of judgment. That's a moment of conviction and clarity. That, that this is how God declares that we can love him back. Because later in that same chapter, in verse 21, I always think of Jim, Jim Conaway, when I read this verse because this is one of his verses. Um, Whoever has my commandments, so it's critical that we, that, we, that we possess them. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him. And, and, and then this passage, this translation says, manifest myself to him. Show myself, reveal, the NIV says. Reveal myself to him. Do you know that, like, let me just make that really simple for for people like me that if we obey his word god shows himself to us through that on the other side of that obedience doesn't that make sense that that walking by faith doesn't mean that i understand before i step it means i step and then god grants me understanding and that understanding comes in the form of him showing himself to us we see this in luke chapter 5 verses 6 through 7 that peter didn't want to go back out to fish he fished all night caught nothing and, and he says, but because you said so, I will go. And when they actually obeyed, resistantly at times, that's not ideal. Joyfully should be our response because we know the heart and intention of our God, our daddy. But it says that both their boats were filled to overflow, right? That, that, that the, and, and, the, and the big news in that particular passage, that the greatest part of that is this. Peter finally, Simon, who now is referred to as Simon Peter, finally starts to see Jesus for who he really is and he gets on his knees in the biggest catch of his life and says, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Awesome. So, a few thoughts. There are many who profess loyalty and respect, even love for the master builder, yet they go right on building their lives their own way. Please hear that again. In light of the the John 14 passage, There are many who profess loyalty and respect, even love for the master builder, yet they go right on building their lives their own way on sand. Sand. Each house looks secure in good weather. Did you ever think about that? Times are good. Each house looks secure. But in Palestine, interestingly enough, this week I was looking at this, is known for torrential rains that come like with very little notice. Only storms, and this is the big deal, only storms reveal the quality of the foundation. 
And so that helps us to understand God's heart in bringing the storms. It's so that we have clarity about our lives. Isn't it mercy that God brings storms into our life if you think about it? So that we don't come to the end of our days and, and realize, oh my gosh, I haven't been building on the, on, on the, on the rock of Christ Jesus, on his word. It, if, if our life is unraveled in that moment, it just clarifies that I'm building my house on a not a firm foundation. The storms of life have great intention. And this is true. No house is exempt from the storms of life. Love your enemies. The Father brings the sun and the rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous. It's no wonder Jesus sent his disciples into the storm. Storms are where we find his word to be the rock and Christ Jesus to be a firm foundation. This parable reminds us that wisdom puts his word into practice. Jesus says there's only two choices, obedience and disobedience. A lot of times we want to find a gray area in there, but that's really what Jesus is saying here. You're either, you're either with me or you're against me. You're either gathering with me or you're scattering. These are sobering statements. Don't be a passive reader. This is just a thought that I had this week. When you're reading God's word, be an active reader, right? Live what you believe. Like, think in terms of, like, not, I need to know this, I need to do this. Because that's the intention behind it. And, and again, it's not I that's doing it. If we're doing his will, God will, God will resource us for his, for his mission, for his plan, for his purpose. Let, let's not forget that Jesus grew up with a master carpenter. So this isn't like foreign territory for him, okay? And one of the things that we can glean from that is how important are blueprints to the plans for a house? So Jim, architect, how important are the blueprints to a plans for the house? They are fundamentally foundational. Awesome, Funda- fundamentally foundational. Essential, would you say that's true? Essential, right? So does how well they are followed determine structural integrity, Jim? Does how well they're followed determine structural integrity? Uh, Essential. Essential. And guys, we have to have a plumb line. We have to have a measuring piece, you know, and this is the role of the Holy Spirit in God's word. Um, And so God has been faithful to give us the blueprint, his word. He's been faithful to give it to us. And sometimes it runs counterculture and counter nature and, and counter everything. But what are we going to stand on and who are we going to follow and what are we going to build our life on? I mean, when it comes down to it, what are we going to do in the moments of life where we have to choose, am I with him or am I against him? Am I going to be obedient? God's word is our divine blueprint. As I read these passages and close, um, I just want you to hear what we've been talking about this morning. John chapter 8, 30 to 32. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide, think about that word, live in it. If you abide in my word, you are, my tr- you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Right? So first, we've got to abide in it. We, we always quote, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free, right? We always quote verse 32. But what about verse 31? What about the verse 31? So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. 
And you will know the truth and the truth will liberate you completely, set you free. We are captive to our sin. We're in bondage before Christ liberates us like, like Israel being liberated from Egypt, set free. John 15, 7 to 12, listen to what it says. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. That's talking about like, like take residence in us, in our life, in our expressions in our actions. Ask what you wish because what are we gonna do? We're gonna ask what he wishes (laughs) and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so prove to be my disciples. What's the foundation of that? We're abiding in his word. Proving ourselves to be his followers. That makes sense, right? Because we're doing what he asks us to do. Going where he asks us to go. Verse nine, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. The obvious question here, how do I abide in your love? Right, he's saying abide in my love. Stay at home in my love. How do I do that? Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Is that not good news? If you keep my commandments, now I'm not saying that's easy. That's a road less traveled for sure. But, but, but if God is in the equation with us to see that realized, we're in good shape. Right? And, uh, and he's saying, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These, and then again, then you ask the question, well, why have you told us this, this Lord? These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your, jo- that your joy may be full or complete. This is my commandment. And then, then he gives us one of his commandments. Like, okay, now it's time to follow, like practical, right? This is my commandment that you love one another. He doesn't stop there though, does he? What does he say? As I have loved. He sets the bar. Perfect. (laughs) He sets the standard. And then the great news is we get to experience firsthand what what we're asked to demonstrate or to share. So we're blessed to be a blessing. We see that. James chapter one, 22 to 26. And man, alluded to this, but listen to what this says. But but be doers of the word. Let me say that again. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. So is hearing important? Yes, prerequisite, necessary. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourself. Deceiving yourself. Later in this passage, verse 25, it says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, speaking of God's word, the law of liberty, which we just learned that the truth sets us free, and perseveres in it, endures, steadfast, right? Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. Do you see it? Will be blessed in his doing. Now listen, I came across this. I don't think I marked it, but I've I've got to share this with you because this is awesome. Um, So listen to what this this last thing says here. So it says, and perseveres, right, in, in obedience to the law, like practicing what we've learned or what, we've been commanded being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts he will be blessed in his doing listen to what Luke eleven twenty seven and 28 says if you're taking notes write that one down uh, Luke eleven twenty seven twenty eight. 28 listen to what this says this is awesome the title above these two verses is true blessedness true blessedness verse 27 and he said I'm sorry as he said these things I love this woman's statement. She says, it says, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you, speaking to Jesus, 
and the breast at which you nursed. Now, I mean, that's a, that's a sweet sentiment, right? Blessed is your mom who, because you're a treasure, right? You're a gift. But listen to what Jesus says to this. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Man, when I came across that, I was like, do we see it again? Blessed are those who hear and keep my word. The principle of this world will not see us through the storms of life. They will not. So my question to you as we close is this. How, so how do we know that we are building our house on the rock? Now, the reason I end with this is because one, I'm sure that question comes up as we think about this. Like, yeah, it's obeying his word, and how, but how do I know that my life is, is established in Christ? Listen to what 1 John 2, 3 through 6 says. And by this, this, going to be defined here in a moment, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Wow. That's how we know that we've come to know him. If we keep his commandments. Now guys, we're not going to do this perfectly, but what's our heart's intention? What's our declaration of fellowship? What's our discipleship mantra? I'm doing your way, not mine, God. I'm doing your way. And, and we'll fall short. I, I'm not trying to give you an out. I'm just telling you that's realistic. That's, that's just, but, but God's grace abounds in those moments and we get back up and we continue to follow. We see this in Peter's life. And he continued to follow. But by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments. Listen to the strong language here. Is a what? Is a what? We're lying ultimately to ourselves. God is not deceived. And the truth is, most people aren't either. We're deceiving ourselves when we're putting up this stained glass masquerade that I'm going to do all these acts of righteousness and this is somehow going to earn me favor with God and others. It's a joke. It's an act. And we're the hypocrite. We're the actor. And God says, look, you're you're not going to get it right every time. But build your life not on your abilities, not in your works, but on the work of the finished work of the cross. And then it goes on to say, I'll say it again, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth, talked about that in John 14, is not in him. But whoever, verse five, but whoever keeps his word, keeps it, that's not just holding it away, it's living it, whoever keeps his word in him truly, this is what I love, This, this this is my gem for me, from this week's of preparation. And it says, but whoever keeps his word, let this, man, this is awesome. Whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Isn't that awesome? Like, but guys, how it's perfected is through walking it out, by living it out. And you might be saying, man, I don't feel like I'm growing the Lord. I don't feel like love is being perfected in my life. Well, are you walking out the truth? Are you living it out? counting on God's strength and power to do it. Help is on the way. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk. You want to reinforce this to the nth degree? Listen, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he being Jesus walked. So we're not even without an example 
and, and a perfect one. And now, you know the good news about this perfect example is? He's our high priest. And when we're getting sifted, he's praying for us even before we get into that moment. That's the good news, is he's with us and he knows us. 1 Corinthians 3 says this, for there, I put seven to 15, that's not, that's not the case, it's verse 11. Verse 11 says this, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Does that not sum it up? No one can lay a foundation. And it's already been established for us. So as we close, my question to you is this. On what foundation are you building your house, your life? On Christ and his word, the rock? Or on human philosophies and reasoning, maybe even your own understandings, worldly paradigms and principles, the sand? This is the evidence of whether we know him or not. And by consequence, where we will spend eternity. 1 John 5, 12 says, whoever has the Son, help me, has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said this, he says, I have come, John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life. That's why he, I mean, he declares why he, he came and died so that we could live life. As we go into this last song, I, I want you to, you know, it, it's a sad reality that oftentimes we race out of church wondering what time the game starts. Or we race out of church going, where am I gonna eat? When we should sit and ponder, reflect, and ask the question, how do I put this into practice? Because we so quickly forget we so quickly move on in our, you know, our ADDH, PhD mentality and world. Like, but, but it's so important that we make application to God's word based on what we've heard today, right? Put it into practice. So as this song is sung, maybe you don't even sing. As this, as this moment happens, maybe you spend time on your knees. Make your chair your altar. Make this your altar. But don't leave here today. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord, the firm foundation of, the, of your life, the only foundation that's out there that will endure, then please today, talk to someone. Talk to him. Get on your knees and just say, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. You've offered your salvation to me. I've got sin. You've been willing to die in my place and I accept your offer and now instead of living for me, I wanna live for you. And guys, it's a, it's a, it's a moment of belief that responds in, in commitment to saying, I'm not gonna follow my ways and, and others. I'm gonna follow you with my very life and build my house upon the rock. Ponder those things as we, uh, as we close. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.